Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the CPR Health Podcast. I'm Sagadoshi, practicing and boarded emergency physician and lifestyle medicine physician. And I'm Zachary Moses, practicing and boarded emergency physician and practicing lifestyle medicine physician. So in this episode, let's get to a little bit of why we are in such a health disaster in this country, and then we can get into how to fix it from one perspective. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of ways to fix it, but this is a, specifically what you can do, the start of what you can do. We all know the healthcare system Needs has help. issues, right? but we're talking about what is it that the individual person can do to, I dare say, avoid interaction with the healthcare system. Now that's ideal, assuming yeah. you don't need it. Of course. Yes. <laughs> so let's uh, talk about the top few things that kill Americans, and we're going to count down backwards. So number four, lung disease. And we'll talk about specifically the United States because all of our data is referring to the United States. So COPD alone killed 160,000 Americans in 2017, last year for which we have data. Number three, this is something you probably can't do quite as much about. I would even argue with that, actually. So accidents and unintentional injuries kill are the number three killers of Americans. So that's 6% of total deaths. And you might think, yeah, there's nothing much I can do about that. However, think about this. Uh, driving while drowsy kills just about as many people that are killed um, as drunk driving does. So you all can right, affect right. how much sleep you're getting. And in fact, um, if you're a sports player, I think they're called athletes, right? Most yeah. recent check, yeah. Okay. Athletes, if they're not sleeping properly, they get way more injuries. So one of the most important things that a coach can do to help keep his athletes um, healthy and uninjured is to make sure they are getting proper sleep. All right, that's fair. Fine, fine. Accidents can potentially be decreased by some lifestyle changes. Yeah. All right, I'll allow it. Wasn't what we're going to get into, but sorry, that'll, that'll be later. <laughs> Number two, no major surprise here: cancer. Uh, this obviously can be affected by many, many lifestyle changes. Um, most common cancer deaths: breast, prostate, and lung cancers. And of course, the number one killer in the United States, year after year after year, is heart disease, also known as cardiovascular disease, but that would group in things like stroke. One out of every three people that die, die from this. Around the globe, it kills huge numbers of people, close to 18 million just in 2019, and every year it will grow larger. Which is really just sad, because we can really affect this in ourselves. And that's the whole point of this. This is not something that is out of our hands. This is not something that's out of your hands. You can put it back in your hands. Yeah, and it's not something that's in your doctor's hands so much, or we could argue that it could be. But these are things that you can do. You don't need a prescription. You don't need special access. These are easy things for you to fix that you can start today. Yeah. I guess you could argue for easy, but they're straightforward things. Sure. They're simple. They're simple, but not easy. Um, looking through a map, and look, we're looking at a map right now, in 2003 versus 2017 obesity rates. I don't have to tell you how depressing this is because you probably have heard this narrative, um, but it's very depressing. Um, You've probably looked around. You probably looked at ourselves, our families, the generations. I mean, compare 
grandparents to grandchildren. Yeah, in, in 2003, this is now specifically high school students with obesity, there were three states that were 15 to 19%, which is already high. In 2017, it's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 states where the percentage of high school students with obesity is 15 to 22%. These are high school students. These are people who have like high metabolisms and <laughs> theoretically true. are active. And theoretically, yeah. That's crazy. So whatever is happening is overwhelming these people's natural metabolisms, natural ability to get rid of excess calories, extra weight. Yeah. And of course, right in line with that, the amount of children, the number of children having type 2 diabetes has gone up. It used to be there was a term called juvenile diabetes, and it did not refer to type 2 diabetes. It referred to type 1 diabetes. And if a kid was getting type 2 diabetes, it was, what? That's no longer the case. And all the stuff that comes along with diabetes, I think some people just see, oh, it's high sugar. I can control that with insulin. No big deal. No, it's much worse than that. There's heart disease that comes. There's losing your eyesight that comes. There's losing limbs that comes. Yeah. Infection risk. Oh, yeah. And the medicines aren't exactly pleasant. Oh, even and it directly... Go yeah, on. Even if you could control with just insulin, it's still not fun. Then you have hypoglycemia. The problems with insulin itself and extra amounts. Yeah, and we're having kids do this stuff. And of course, diabetes is one of the main risk factors for heart disease, so... Right. So what we're getting at here is specifically in this part of the talk or in the next few sessions, we'll talk about your diet um, and the way that your diet plays into all this, what you can do about it to fix your health problems or prevent getting health problems that you may be at risk for. But we eat like our future doesn't matter. We are under the impression that we can eat, drink, and be merry and have no consequences. Or maybe we don't feel like that, but we live like that nonetheless. Yeah, somehow we're of the opinion, I think, as a country, that we can just, that the stuff that we put in our bodies has nothing to do with our body. Which is amazing because you take pills. Yeah. You think that the thing you take twice a day affects you less than the stuff that you eat every day, all day for years and years and years? How does that happen? How did we get here? We get really amped about this stuff, by the way, so <laughs> you'll hear us get excited. Because it's extremely important and extremely controllable. Yeah. So we, we have a healthcare society, and, and, and Sagar and I both work in the emergency department. We can both tell you we're, our society is great at treating acute causes of illness. You know, we're getting better at treating cancer. We're getting better at treating heart disease. Our, our bypass surgeries are incredible now. We can do valve replacements without even cutting open somebody's chest now. We can do some pretty incredible things, yet we're still getting sicker. Yeah, and now, we've had to develop these things yeah. because there's so much of it. Right, yeah. There has been a demand. Yeah, yeah, it, it's profitable for healthcare systems to do this all the time because they're doing it so often and, and to continue to do it and pour a bunch of money in recruiting and patients into these, into these procedures because, they're, yeah, like you said, they're doing it so often. I mean, you are what you eat. And if you look at what we are actually eating, it's a bunch of crap. I mean, how much, take a guess, how much processed food as a typical American do you think people consume? And processed food being added, added sugars, uh, ready-to-eat meals. Oh, yeah. Uh, Convenience foods. Right. All those things are processed foods. All put together. So it is actually 63%. And that was in 2009. So it's worse now. Probably. I guarantee it. 
So that was 63%. What should we be eating? We'll get to that in more detail, but really it's a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet for most people. And that should be the majority of our calories. And instead, in 2009, it was less than 12%. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's appalling. And, and that's marketing and advertising and convincing people that you don't have time to create food. And this is a healthy alternative. Yeah. And food engineering. This yeah. is a real occupation. There's a lot of money being spent on making these things so appealing that they are literally irresistible. I mean, these high-fat foods are addictive. I mean, if you look at how your body is going to respond to highly caloric foods that are high in fat and sugar, and how it responds to illicit drugs, you're getting a similar response. And you're getting a vicious circle where you end up needing more and more of that food to create the same response. And then you end up in a position where you need that food to not feel like crud. And they've actually looked at functional MRIs of people with eating high fat foods and, and high caloric density foods. And it's similar to addicts of substances. I mean, we look at the areas of the brain that get activated when you are eating a high fat food is the same as heroin addicts. When they, I mean, the, the dopaminergic response is the same. So there's a legitimate addiction. It's, it, this is a, it is a biochemical addiction that we've created. Right. So, and, what, and what's, yeah, go on, go on. Yeah. And so this is what we are essentially eating every day. It's called the standard American diet. Yes, AD, and it's definitely sad. It is directly toxic to so many parts of us. It's toxic to our blood vessels. It drops our nitric oxide activity. I mean, there's a way of looking at how your blood vessels respond to things, and it's through a test of dilation. You can put an ultrasound on your arm and look at how big and small your brachial artery is getting. And the, there was a study, there's actually been many studies, but one study was at the University of Maryland. And you put a cuff on your arm for about five minutes, a blood pressure cuff. Then you measure how big it is. And then you see how well it dilates when you take off the cuff. Now you do the same thing to the same person who's just eaten a very fatty meal. And it slows how fast that artery dilates. And it limits how far it dilates. And what this means is that there is less blood flow in it. And it takes about six hours for that regular function to come back. And before you start thinking, oh, six hours isn't that long, remember, we eat three meals right. a day and snacks. And that's one meal. Yeah, that's it's one, one meal. meal. I mean, and, and this is the, so the stuff that actually causes your arteries to dilate is the same stuff that we give people having heart attacks or chest pain. It's, it's nitric oxide. So when you see people popping those nitroglycerin, what they're doing is they're trying to expand their blood vessels in their heart so they can get more blood flowing to their heart and thereby, thereby more oxygen flowing to the heart. And if that doesn't work, if your heart is under stress and your vessels can't dilate, guess what happens? You have a heart attack. Mm -hmm. It's not hard to figure out how this happens. And it's one meal. I just, I, that just blows my mind. It's one meal. And that's just one of the things it does this diet. It's not like it only affects this function of this kind of vessel. It does so many other things. It also creates toxic chemicals within our systems, including rather dangerous growth hormones, things that can increase inflammation, oxidative 
damage, risk of cancer, risk of autoimmune disease, um, just on and on and on. And these mechanisms are well understood. I shouldn't, most of them, a lot of them are well understood. We know that IGF is one of the things that's ramped up and mTOR and all those, you know, the effects of all of our genetic pathways are, are, get all sorts of out of whack with these, with these diets and they're recoverable. And that's the beautiful thing about whole food plant-based diet is that these things are recoverable. That doesn't mean that if you've done damage, that's it, forget it. You're going to get cancer, you're going to get heart disease. You can actually reverse some of this damage that's been done because your body's really good at it. And certain diets allow your body to do what it's supposed to do. If you're not hindering it all the time, if you're not sticking a knife in the wheels of your car, you'll be able to recover. Now, we mentioned oxidative damage. Do you want to try and uh, explain that? Because I think that ter- it's a term that's thrown around a lot, and maybe people don't really know what it means. Basically, you have electrons that are moving back and forth between the atoms of your cells, um, and free radicals are oxidized, meaning they've had an electron stolen from it, if I remember correctly. And they will therefore damage other parts because they're ionized. So they'll, they'll get in contact with other parts, such as your endothelial lining, the lining of your blood cells, and start damaging things um, because of that, that charge that it now has. Yeah, so it's actually, it ends up, it's craving an electron. It is right. unbalanced. It's missing an electron. It's in your system. It's going to go steal an electron from something. And the thing that it's going to steal from is a healthy atom. Unless you have antioxidants in your body or things that are saying, hey, you want an electron so badly, I'll give you mine. And that's called reducing it. Kind of nice. Reduces your inflammation, reduces the free radicals. Makes it simple to remember. So, because if you don't do this and you let these free radicals go around doing oxidative damage, it's not like it's a random atom that's getting hurt. These atoms are part of organs. Right. So, the free radicals are damaging the antioxidants, offer them electrons, and neutralize them. They neutralize the threat by giving the, the electron back and make them less angry, so they will not do so much damage to the inside of your body. And before you think that you're going to just run to GNC and oh, grab God. a bottle of antioxidants, that's not how it works. It's very complicated. The food that you eat that's whole food, plant-based, has specific ways of delivering antioxidants that we don't fully understand, but we do know that if you take any degree of antioxidant, you know, vitamin C or wh- whatever you know, antioxidant drink you're getting from the store, your body does not absorb it and does not use it in anywhere near the same way. Even if you look at vitamin C levels between taking a vitamin C supplement versus eating an apple, you'd have to take, I think it's like 10 or 12 times as much vitamin C through the pill to get the same absorption. Yeah. And if you want to look at that apple and if you just want to, interestingly, if you just want to measure the vitamin C activity within that apple versus the amount of vitamin C within that apple, there's way more vitamin C activity in the apple than there is vitamin C. So you're getting way more stuff from eating the entire plant. Yeah, so don't waste your money or time. I think Americans probably have the most expensive urine in the world. Yeah, because all this stuff that we're uh, letting the supplement companies profit off of is really just getting peed out. Yes. And that's how uh, inflammation is one of the ways that disease can come about. You know, we end up with all these various inflammatory factors, stressors, not just the food we eat, but the stress we put on ourselves, uh, how old we're getting, and we pile that on top of any genetic predisposition. And then once you get this cocktail, this entire thing put together, that's when you start producing cardiovascular diseases, metabolic diseases, uh, neurologic diseases, cancers, 
It's not just your genes. In fact, genes have something to do with it, but they aren't most of it. It's often been said, genes are loading the gun, but then how you're living really determines whether you're pulling the trigger. I don't know. Like, if you were driving slow, do you still put your seatbelt on? Like, yeah, there are certain things that put you at risk for having disease, but you still do what you can to prevent that from happening. So you'll have, we'll have some patients who say, you know, my father and my brother both had heart attacks. So since I'm gonna, since they had heart attack, there's no point in even bothering because I'm gonna have a heart attack. But you wouldn't just throw gasoline on a fire, on a house fire. You can still put it out with water. So I think it's a little bit short-sighted to say just because you have a predisposition to have a disease that you're guaranteed to get it or that you can't do anything to delay or prevent it. Yeah, even just looking at obesity, when they take the genes supposedly responsible for obesity, and then you try to factor in lifestyle factors, it's the people that aren't living healthy lifestyles and that have the genes that end up gaining the weight. If you look at the people that are living healthy lifestyles and that have the genes, they're not at any more risk of gaining weight than people without the genes. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. So you have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, you're overweight. Why, why not just go to your doctor and take the medications that you're prescribed? Why, why go through all this hard work? Why, why do the difficult thing here? We'll talk about that in, uh, in, in future episodes here. But the point for now is what we're advocating is a whole food plant-based diet because it works, it's effective, it's cheap, it's available. And it actually treats the cause. Right. It, it gets down to... This is the single most important thing that you can do for your health that will actually prevent issues from happening later on. So we'll get into all that in in future episodes.